<laughs> okay, come on back. I need a bigger bell. <laughs> So just out of my own curiosity, since we are, we're on week four of this um, uh, five-week series on the five faculties or five spiritual powers, how many of you have been keeping up with, uh, with the four weeks that we've done so far, or the three weeks we've done so far? And you, how many of you have either been coming here or listening online and are clued in a little bit? Okay, so some of you. Okay, so um, we've been looking at this particular list um, and expanding it a bit. I've been trying to expand it a bit so that it's relatable. It's something that we can really get our teeth into and see how does this really relate. Um, within our life at this point in time, too. And so just a brief overview, because we begin to see how these all tie together very nicely. They all support each other. They're, they're not uh, something that we cultivate necessarily individually, um, although we might bring focus to one of these uh, and, and try to strengthen it. But in doing so, we end up strengthening all of them. So they're very much woven together. So the first one was faith. And the power of faith was uh, the power against doubt. So in order to, uh, one of the ways to keep doubt at bay is through the power of faith. And and not just blind faith. In fact, there's uh, not a lot of value put in to blind faith in this tradition. But, But actually experienced faith. You know, having faith because we've actually experienced how this is all working. It rings true to us because we know it either very directly or um, have a sense of, of something being very true. And um, so faith is the first spiritual faculty. And then energy or virya, uh, which has the power against apathy. So... This energy that allows us to really stay connected and um, interested uh, in in whatever it is that's arising in our experience. Mindfulness, which someone came up uh, just a little bit ago and reminded me um, of the definition of, of mindfulness when translated directly from the Pali, which is sati, the word is sati, is the word to rem- or the phrase to remember. Mindfulness means to remember. And its power is, to, um, is against disconnect, to be disconnected from the moment, from our experience. And in this very deep way, what it is doing is allowing us to remember our truest nature, and our, our birthright as, as living beings, being right here in this moment. And so this evening, we'll explore the fourth 
spiritual power, which is concentration. I feel like this is one of those topics that um, uh, we've all experienced but may not have a grasp on. Uh, Sometimes, you know, there's a lot of talk about mindfulness. Mindfulness is everywhere. Uh, But even though in the Buddhist tradition, concentration, the word concentration, shows up a lot in the teachings of the Buddha um, in various forms, but we may not have a real grasp on what that actually means. Or we think we have an idea of what it is, um, but sometimes those preconceived notions are misleading to a point perhaps that we we feel we're unable to experience something like concentrated mind, a steady mind. Um, So I want us to, to pick this apart a little bit to understand it better. My hope is to make this... Um, something digestible, not too heady, uh, and maybe even something experiential as you're listening to this and exploring this with me. So concentration, uh, the power that is offered when concentration is, is more developed in your spiritual practice is a power against um, mental distraction um, or against mental disturbance. And so in this way, it's very much connected to the other spiritual faculties, um, maybe most directly to mindfulness. It's what allows the mind to stabilize, even though in mindfulness what we're paying attention to is the constant flux of experience, of life. Everything always changing. Experience arising and going. Coming, going, coming, going. In a, in a mind moment or within a breath, so much experience happening within that period of time. And with mindfulness, we're observing it all. We're, we're knowing it. We're connecting back into it. We're seeing it. But it's a lot to, to be with. Sometimes it feels like a lot to track or um, we get kind of pulled into that motion of flux and suddenly the mind gets a bit overwhelmed or stirred up in some way. Concentration comes in and collects the attention and stabilizes the attention so that we can be in this stabilized awareness while there's quite a bit of experience happening all around us. So one way um, to think of this Uh, It was really windy at some point today. And I was walking through a parking lot and it was blowing up all the the trees, uh, the leaves and and stuff that had been blown on the ground from all the rain that we've been having. And it was whirling it up and around me. And I just kind of stopped because I didn't want to get it in my eyes. (laughs) So I just, you know, kind of shielded my eyes and stopped for a moment. But it has that feeling of, Experience is, is whipping up around us sometimes. It can have that feeling. And concentration can come in and be this stillness in the middle of it all, witnessing that life happening, whatever it might be. 
So that's one possibility with concentration. We just did some some concentration meditation, or that was the intention of the meditation, <laughs> whether it was experienced or not. Um, I am curious uh, uh, what that was like, if anyone feels like, sharing if you were able to touch into a feeling of a collected mind, what that may have felt like to you. Even if it was just for a moment, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean your whole sit was a very concentrated one. But maybe you had a moment of the mind collecting and stabilizing just a little bit. What was that like? Yes. You felt very present. Yeah. Wonderful. You were in the space and it's where you belonged. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's <laughs> great. Having one thing to do instead of 50 things to do is just watching the breath. It's relaxing for the mind it is it can be very restful when the mind gets to just rest on one particular experience instead of having to track everything yeah great anything else mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh huh. That's great. So I'm going to repeat it back so that it gets on the recording and so that everyone can hear it. So I'll just summarize. Uh, what you said, but it was really it was a nice point. Um, so saying that the the word stillness uh, uh, associated with concentration is really nice and not something you had ha- considered. It sounds like before, and that it was more of what did you say, um, like an efforting. Mm-hmm. Concentration is more intense. Yeah. 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 That's great. So, um, yep, that concentration is more of an effort and intense. And uh, that stillness is more open and quiet. Yeah. Well, this is great. I'm so glad that you said that because... I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> we'll get there. How about one more? I saw your hand up. Mm-hmm. Became more aware of the distractions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. So it became more aware. You became more aware when things threw you off of whatever the object was for your attention. And that felt intrusive. It was jarring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can be that way when we're first starting to develop this. It's good to notice that, though, because the alternative is not to notice it. <laughs> we learn so much more when we notice what what is it that's pulling our attention away, um, what's throwing us off, what's hindering our, our mindfulness. Yeah. It's not necessarily comfortable, but it's good to know. Okay. Yeah. So just as um, mindfulness had that direct translation from the Pali word sati as to remember, um, concentration also has a phrase that is more direct um, to the Pali translation. Uh, the The Pali word is samadhi. And the direct translation is um, to connect, to connect. And so there's different ways that um, different scholars have interpreted what does that exactly mean. Some say it's connecting moment to moment. So we're in that flux of experience that we're seeing through mindfulness. And then there's um, concentration that comes in that helps us connect everything, all those mind moments together so that it becomes more cohesive somehow, more collected. Um, others uh, seem to feel that to, to connect has more to do with the stabilization of the mind, connecting with uh, the moment and, and staying um, connected to the present moment. So it kind of depends. But to put together, to stay connected, um, collecting the mind I've used, stabilizing, one-pointedness is often something that comes in related to the characteristic of concentration. Uh, I was I was pointing you more towards that, um, picking one particular experience and allowing the attention to rest there and just see what that's like. And that's one form of concentration. We can also be concentrated and actually be aware of the fullness of um, of experience coming in and out. So this more of this open awareness. And our concentration can be strong enough to hold all of it. So we can be noticing um, the breath, the body sensations, sounds, everything coming through, the, the you know mental activity, emotions, uh, all being held in this field of mindfulness, of awareness, and um, stabilized with concentration. So that is also a possibility. I'm not going to speak too much about that type of practice, but I want you to know that there's a lot of different ways that you can approach concentration practice and strengthening concentration practice. Um, For some, that might be a good route. For most it's kind of a level two thing. <laughs> might not be a good place to start as far as strengthening your concentration. That won't be true for everyone, but for most, I find that that's a hard place to start because you're already needing a certain degree of concentration just to stabilize that, amu- that much uh, in, your, in your field of awareness. 
so mindfulness or concentration, uh, when we're concentrated, even if we're, we're noticing things we wish we weren't noticing, <laughs> as you were pointing out, the, destruction, the distractions, the things that come in, um, when we're not distracted, when those things are not coming in, and uh, concentration that's actually built up, part of what it does is it, it, it does create this field for our sense doors. It creates, um, one way I was thinking about it is it's almost womb-like, this protective space where we might have our sense doors open, but uh, there's something protecting that entryway so there's not that much input coming through the senses. Um, we can concentrate fully on a particular sensation and have other uh, senses kind of f- fade away into the background. Uh, this, is, this is part of the power of concentration. When we are in this field of concentration and it's strong, where we begin to connect to what I think of as our truest nature. Uh, Some people call it our Buddha nature. The Buddha never used that phrase. Um. (laughs) But I'd like it regardless. Uh, We can use our imagination about what what that means. What does Buddha nature mean to us? of our idealized version, perhaps, of a human being. Uh, when we can connect to, it's still our humanness. It's, it's not this lofty, um, godlike quality. It's still within our humanness. But it's without uh, the hindrances in mind, so without uh, the wanting and the not wanting, the aversion, without the restlessness and that worry, um, uh, without our um, kind of disconnect and um, apathy uh, for, for what's arising in the moment, and without our doubt. When those are, are all at bay, what ends up uh, flourishing from within us is this contentment and calm, uh, joy can arise. A deep happiness can come forward. All just from being uh, right here in the moment. These are parts of our humanness that are um, uh, not you know, tainted by... Um, the clutter that so often is within our mind and in our heart. It's hard to see through. It's what gets us so caught up in that tangle um, of suffering and stress and uh, lack of contentment, that feeling of disconnect from ourself and from others. Uh, When that clutter is removed, There's something so beautiful within each of us. And we get to taste that. We get to to see that 
when the mind becomes really concentrated, even when it's just slightly concentrated, if it's a healthy concentration, I'm calling it, a healthy concentration, and I'll say more about that, um, we begin to see the, the coming and going of experience without having to be so harsh about it, so judgmental about it. Uh, we just see it as it is, which is very restful to see our experience in this way. Just be right there with it, not having to fight it or resist it so much, not having to cling to it, uh, just allowing it to be. We hear, you know, in the spiritual traditions, just be. You know, I think this is probably what they're talking about. So there is a healthy way to be concentrated and an unhealthy way to be concentrated. I've experienced both. <laughs> um, when I was first starting um, to explore with concentration practice, uh, I was over-efforting. It was a real effort. Um, and partly that was because of my mind. It just had, it wasn't very settled. Uh, it was pretty busy and restless and neurotic. It's still neurotic, but <laughs> I know it. That's the difference. <laughs> and so it was all over the place. And uh, so I, you know, it was kind of like studying in school something you don't really want to learn. <laughs> and you just, okay, I just I have to concentrate. And you uh, put all that intense effort into trying to absorb some kind of information and meaning from what it is that you're reading or studying. Um, we take that model often into this practice of concentration to say, okay, now I'm going to get concentrated. That doesn't sound fun. <laughs> it doesn't sound like something we really want. It seems like a have to. Like, okay, it's part of this whole path thing. And they say I should do it, so okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> And it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't sound that appealing, um, especially put that way. Uh, but this is because we don't understand what it really is, uh, if, that's, if that's the view we're coming in with. Uh, there's a big misunderstanding, and maybe it's because of the, the word itself. Vocabulary is so important. And so we already ha- may have an idea of what concentrated means. And, you know, our brow is furled and, you know, the body gets tight and um, we push our way through to become concentrated. And uh, you can do that. I found that does work, but it's so unpleasant and actually unnecessary. Um, you can actually you can hurt yourself. I remember on a retreat, I was practicing in that way, really determined. And um, uh, I started getting ringing in my ears. What is that called? T- uh, tinnitus. In my ears because I was so, like, I imagine my jaw, I don't remember this part exactly, but I just imagine that I was probably just sitting there girding my teeth as I was directing my mind and making it stay 
on the breath. And I did it. But it was awful. (laughs) It's very unmotivating. Our poor minds, you know, if if you yell at it and you are forcing it into a particular way, it's very unmotivating for your mind to stay there. All it's going to want to do is fight back and go somewhere else, right? You would do that as a person. <laughs> and so it's very unmotivating for the mind to, to pay attention if that is our mindset, if that's our attitude towards it. And so that is one possibility to beat the mind into this submission, um, you know, when I look at, maybe not these, but oftentimes the Buddha who's sitting there with um, just that slight smile on his face, he was known as the happy one. Um, I, you know, and he talked about, you know, uh, using the mind against mind and, and some very warrior-like Phrases, but when I when I look at him, like here's a beautiful depiction in this painting behind us is kind of what I'm talking about. Uh, think of that as a concentrated mind. The ease, the relaxation, the presence. Uh, I want that. <laughs> I don't want to be tight, tense, and over-efforting. That's more of what we're going for. And I'll ask for questions at the end. Hold on to it. Um, And I know there are examples of this in the suttas. I I find, um, for some, maybe it's helpful. For most I've talked to, it is not so helpful. And so what does seem to be helpful is a balance between interest, curiosity, um, engagement with whatever it is that we're paying attention to. You know, it's not, uh, it's not disconnected. It's, it's very connected attention to the breath, for example. Um, it's not passive in that way, Right? And then that coupled with this, this relaxation. Um, I mentioned in the, in the sit this attitude of tenderness. Uh, in the effort talk that I talked, to, I, I talked about, um, the effort of tenderness and use the example of uh, being with my son who was getting his hair cut and just putting that a hand on his cheek so he could lean into my hand while the woman was cutting his hair and he stayed there. You know, there's just this gentleness that comes through and it's so much more motivating than saying, you know, don't move, (laughs) sit still. Most of us, our minds fight against that. And so... Beginning a concentration practice by learning this balance, understanding this balance of of effort and tenderness or of relaxation. Uh, 
And if you are out of balance, you'll know it pretty quickly. If you're too relaxed, you go into this kind of uh, foggy, sloggy (laughs) mental mess where whatever it is you're paying attention to, it's just, it's fuzzy. We, we're not connected to it anymore. Um, and it's, it's obvious when that happens. And we have to bring in something that allows the energy to come up, um, our interest to be there. Um, you know, one of the ways that I, I offered uh, is a way that I use all the time is, is coming into connection with the, the preciousness of whatever it is that I'm paying attention to, that I don't want to miss it. This breath in this moment could be my last breath. This is the breath that allows me to know that I'm alive right now. I want to be there for every in-breath, every out-breath, every pause that's in there. I want to know those sensations. It's very intimate, this way of being with the experience, very connected, Um, listening to sound, uh, really being there, not just passively. We're passive in the sense that we're not directing the show, but we're not passive in our interest. We're curious about it. Ooh, what's going to come next? And just seeing uh, the orchestra of coughs and wrestling and, you know, um, other people breathing and, and whatever it is, and just being wowed by it, being amazed by it. When I can shift into that mode, uh, it all becomes so much more fascinating. My energy goes up. Uh, Suddenly, that relaxation also is supported because I'm not paying attention to it in this this very tense way. Uh, It is a very relaxed, ooh, what's this? Or, wow, I want to be here for this. This is a different way of holding it. But it's very much in service to concentration, to allowing the mind to collect and rest. And that's, that's the movement of concentration. It's collecting your attention and then and, and resting. It almost feels like a Tai Chi or Qigong move as I'm doing it. It has that softness to it, which is not what we necessarily think of when we think of concentration. But I find that a healthy concentration is like this. When we are plowing through with our concentration and trying, over-efforting, we might be able to do it. We can go into jhanic states, which I'll talk about uh, in a little bit, the very concentrated states. Um, But it, it becomes unsustainable. We've put so much energy into trying to keep the mind there that it, it's like it, it becomes this very unstable force. Um, in fact, when we come out of the concentration, sometimes it can be very jarring when we are, are holding it, when we're cultivating this unhealthy concentration. Um, the hindrances come flying in. They've been waiting at the door. <laughs> and they just rush in <laughs> and overtake us. So the hindrances of the mind are the ones I've already mentioned. So uh, that wanting or desire, aversion, 
um, restlessness, uh, sloth and torpor, which is kind of that apathy um, and doubt. And we can end up having what we call a hindrance attack. Just all of them at once. Um, I find that when there is a gentleness present and that when we come out of the, when I come out of the concentrated, the very concentrated experience, that, that, that softness is still there, that openness is still there. And you might notice the hindrances come in, but they're not um, so sharp. Somehow uh, the capacity to be with those hindrances is much higher. Um, the capacity for that tenderness and kindness to be with whatever it is that arises is there. And so as far as uh, a long-term practice coming in and out of these concentrated states, this is much more sustainable way of doing it. So this is healthy, unhealthy concentration. And then you've got the, the wise and unwise concentration. So just a different way of categorizing it, but it's very meaningful. It's concentrating, you know, we can be concentrated doing many, many things. Uh, I imagine if you were robbing a house, you'd be pretty concentrated. <laughs> you would really know what's going on around you. Um, in terms of spiritual practice, we we make um, a point of uh, pointing out that there is a difference between a wise concentration and an unwise concentration. And one of the ways that we qualify this is by the level of sila or harmlessness that's being um, produced or supported uh, in the practice of concentration. So that the the uh, unfolding of whatever the concentration practice you're doing um, feeds this this understanding of the value of harmlessness in your life, and in turn, if you are living a life of harmlessness of, of uh, cultivated wise sila, um, it greatly supports your concentration. If you are hurting people, if you are lying a lot, if you're stealing, things like this, um, using your sexuality in some way that's really harmful to somebody, when you try and sit in your practice and get quiet and just be with yourself, all that stuff often arises. How many times have you sat in your meditation practice ready to pay attention to the breath and what happens is a an arising of a conversation you had earlier in the day where you probably could have said something a little bit better <laughs> but didn't, and just reliving that experience over and over again or something like that. And so when we're um, in line with our sila and, and processing that and being with it, it's not about being a saint. It's about being clear about where the lines are and how when we cross that line, how it deeply affects us. When we are in alignment in that way, um, our mind is more settled. It can come in here and settle. It can collect and rest a lot easier. So sila is very important on on many different levels related to um, our concentration. 
And then there's the hindrances that I mentioned. Um, a wise concentration. It's very, we, we have a deep understanding of these hindrances and are, are not feeding them uh, in our concentration. That we're allowing them to um, be set aside. That we're um, almost guarding against them as we concentrate the mind. Uh, seeing them as just not helpful and not wholesome in that moment. And in turn, as the concentration gets stronger, uh, it becomes very hard, actually, for the hindrances to uh, penetrate the experience. There's just not a lot of room for them when we're in that concentrated space. I think mostly because we're in this very open, um, heart-centered space when we're concentrated. Uh, There's just not a lot of room for all that clutter all the tangle, uh, it's kept at bay. So we begin to see that relationship between the hindrances and concentration as well. And then lastly, as we become more and more concentrated, and if we're really practicing cultivating strong concentration, we're limiting our sense experiences. And this is where we start to dip into Uh, the jhanas, or the absorption states. And I'll say just a little bit about this, because some of you might be practicing this. Um, Most people are not practicing this outside of uh, retreat time. Um, So I won't go into great depth about it, but you can come and ask me questions at the end if you'd like. Um, But it's important to know the roadmap. So as we begin to experience concentration more and more in our practice, um, we begin to be less interested and um, kind of pulled away from all of our sense experiences. Uh, We are able to focus on maybe one sense experience, say the breath, uh, and be very content with that that we don't need to follow every single sound that pops up in the room or every single body sensation or every single thought that flows through, that we can uh, concentrate the mind, that we can bring it to this one-pointedness onto a particular uh, sensory experience and leave it there. And as we do this... um, sometimes what starts to arise is actually quite a bit of energy that um, effort that may have been needed before, that um, uh, there's certainly some effort that has to be brought in, whether it's sustaining the attention or even just bringing the attention back over and over again. There's some effort there, right? As the concentration gets stronger, that efforting um, becomes less. It's not as necessary And what comes, it seems, in its place is this great amount of energy. We suddenly are quite alert and aware of the sensations that we are paying attention to. We're able to bring more focus in. But because there is this amount of energy, we still don't need to um, bring an intensity around it or a tightness around it. And so the balance continues at this point. And so as that energy comes up, 
um, we also begin to feel often um, sometimes the word is rapture or great joy um, arises. And this is a very natural feeling, very natural experience as we begin to collect the mind. And so as we get into that territory, um, we might find ourselves getting more into the realm of um, the jhanas. So jhana is um, often used in uh, more intensive practice as uh, uh, meaning samadhi, meaning concentration. So when we start to talk about concentration in more intensive practice, we're often talking about jhana, although not exclusively. Um, Jhana is this one-pointedness of the mind uh, that um, actually allows for other aspects of our experience to fall away. We end up being able to let go of much of our sensory experience and we find ourselves in uh, a very uh, different mind space that is very, very, very protected. I used the term a womb earlier, and this is really where I, I find this to be true, this feeling of a very protected space. Uh, there's four um, formed jhanas where there's uh, a connection to sensory experience still, this one-pointedness, and then there's the formless jhanas, which I'm not even going to touch upon. <laughs> but there, this is part of um, practice of path as you, as you continue on. For some, for some, uh, this is not part of your path, and that's okay. That it doesn't have to be something you feel like, if I don't get this, then I'm just not going to do this. <laughs> Don't let this be a roadblock for you. For some, um, for most, I'd say this is more about uh, finding that balance, getting really good at the balance of concentration um, and, and being in that, that practice. For others, there can be this inclination more into uh, the, the jhanas. Um, for some, you go right there. I wouldn't... Be surprised if there's someone in here where your mind goes right there into that very, very concentrated state. Hard to um, even keep track of the body a little bit. If that's true for you, that's nice. And <laughs> and um, oftentimes what's needed is the foundation and building blocks. And so the practice for you ends up being coming out of that space and learning how to just be in the body. Usually it's someone who has, if you have trouble being embodied. Um, So if this is sounding really familiar, um, it's actually body practice that will help really ground you and then coming back to a more concentrated practice. Uh, So there's many different ways to approach this. So the jhanas has, uh, I don't want to say, it has a mapping system to to know where you are within the jhanas. It's not like GPS pinpoint. (laughs) It's more like 
you're in the ballpark, you're in the neighborhood of this particular jhana, because it is experienced sometimes differently uh, with different people. Um, so if this is something you've experienced, you might find, okay, I'm in, I've been in that ballpark. Um, so the verse, first jhana is characterized by this, uh, this rapture, this, in, this intense pleasure, really, of energy arising and um, this joy that, that comes through. Uh, um, this can sometimes be a very intense concentrated state. I find it to be very bodily. Um, I have a full sense of the body in this state, but uh, outside disturbances, are, are it's hard for them to come in. It feels very protected, but it can be um, just high, high intensity without the efforting, interestingly. Um, and then as you move into the other jhanas, it's not that something is added, it's actually that things are taken away. So there's a letting go process as you go through the process of um, these jhana states. So the second jhana is uh, characterized by this joy. It's not, um, it doesn't have quite that intensity it, to me, there's more of a happiness uh, component to it. Happiness is one of the factors in this jhana. And so it's a little more smoothed out. There's still a concentration on one-pointed experience, sensory experience like the breath. Um, but everything starts to uh, calm down. <laughs> still very bodily as well. Um, and then from there, we're dropping uh, several factors. So um, let's see. Uh, we're dropping uh, this this joy and the rapture. The 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 happiness is there, but it changes into something even more subtle. Um, it's sometimes called contentment. Um, this is where the, the edges of my body, I start to lose this sense of um, the fullness of the body. There's still connection to the sensory experience, but it, things begin to fall away. It's, it starts to become more restful. And it's hard sometimes to differentiate between the third and the fourth, which the fourth... Um, is characterized by as um, equanimity, a state of, of balance. And um, it's not so much about pleasure anymore, of pleasant experience. Things are just neutral in a way. Neutral, but very engaged. And um, there's still sense of the body, though, in this state, too. And there's still that one-pointed connection to something sensory, but it becomes very still. And um, that kind of uh, phonetic energy in the first two jhanas are, that's fallen away uh, completely. Um, so this is kind of the, the these are the neighborhoods. Um, there's, there's actually a lot to say. There's some great books um, uh, out there on the jhanas. Um, one I'll just 
I'll give a shout out is Richard Shankman's book on Samadhi. Um, is a is a really wonderful guide, and Lee Brazington has also written um, a couple of books or a number of books on the subject that I think are are really digestible <laughs> and um, practice oriented. Um, but I don't want to keep talking and and not give time for checking in on this one. Um, I will say that just in conclusion that the purpose of all of this. When we still the mind in this way and we're in these very clear states and we are connected to this very pure nature within ourself, um, it's conditioned. It's not, it's not enlightenment. Sometimes we get fooled in these really nice states that this is it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> You're going to be right back out of it. <laughs> Don't you worry. But we touch into something that is very true. And so when we come out of these states of, of concentration, whether it's a jhana or it's just a very concentrated mindfulness state, and we've touched into that part of ourselves um, that allows us to rest and see more clearly, it affects our perception begins to shape the way we see the world. It brings us into contact with the Dharma, with the way things really are. And it's from that place um, uh, that we begin to understand this as an insight practice. We begin to see this as a wisdom practice. We begin to build our own capacity to understand uh, these greater mysteries of the world, which uh, are mysterious and also very, very grounded in what it means to be alive. And so that will be um, uh, what we're going to talk about next week. (laughs) Next week we'll talk about the power of wisdom. And so this is all very much interconnected with, with each other. Okay. So we have just a little bit of time. Um, Let's let's hear if there's any any questions. And it would be nice if they were more connected with your own practice and understanding, or um, your own struggle with with this within your own practice. Yes, here you go. Uh, I've only I've I think I'm. I, mean, I hesitate to say this, but I feel like maybe I have touched on maybe the first jhana at one point uh-huh. in my in my meditation. I felt my concentration just kind of sinking deeper into my chest, and something just hilarious. Like some, I was like some, some like somebody had just told me the most funniest joke, and I couldn't help but just to like kind of giggle at myself and feel this like deep comfort. Mm. And I was like, I was like, this is incredible. And then I never felt it again. <laughs> and I, yeah. real, I thought that, well, maybe, you know, maybe my goal is not to feel that, but just to know that perhaps I'm developing my own practice in a certain way. Yeah. But I um, wanted to know if you had advice on, like, how to kind of progress and uh, 
move on from that. Sure. I mean, it certainly could be um, something that happened out of a state of concentration. It's hard for me to tell. Um, we'd have to have more of a conversation about it. But I think what's actually more important is um, your relationship with it. And and this is important for all of us, that when we do experience these high states of concentration, they are so nice. <laughs> they feel really good. And we can get fixated on getting back there. And we begin to cling. And when we cling, it's like this. you know, We tighten around the experience. And that tightness starts to feed that unhealthy concentration. It starts to feed the hindrances um, quite a bit. And it becomes a battle to go back there. I know people who have spent years trying to get back to some kind of meditative state and, um, and it's, it's agony. Um, and so to notice if there's a clinging aspect uh, in there and, and to just know if that's there and to work with it with your mindfulness. It doesn't mean shy away from concentration practice, but um, when you do see it there, to just name it, let it be seen fully. You know, oh, and there's my clinging of hope that this is going to turn into this thing. And, oh, there I am, like, really pushing it to, you know, happen the way it happened last time. Um, So just to have that be something to notice. Yeah. I was um, trying to understand concentration, and you gave gave a lot of, um, uh, uh, you mentioned a lot of things that made me understand it more. My my question is, um, I always thought, and maybe that's wrong thinking, that <clears throat> concentration is just a, the training wheel for for mindfulness. The training it, wheels? Yeah. Like on a bike training wheels? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So for me, mindfulness is like noticing what arises, being present in the moment, and the moment is usually a lot of things are happening in the moment. Yeah. And so just being, noticing the arising without getting swallowed in it mm-hmm. and so um, and accepting it whether it be jarring distractions or or peaceful aromatic smells you know mm-hmm. not, not not necessarily getting attached to it but noticing it <clears throat> so it's 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 noticing what's arising which is different I thought from concentration which is pinpoint focus on just one thing and what's the what's the dynamic between the two because I tend to value the mindfulness yeah and I don't tend to value the concentration so for me my question is why even concentrate yeah yeah I mean they're so intertwined that you're probably you probably have some concentration happening in there and it's just that it's not known um, and so maybe to begin with it's just getting comfortable knowing when concentration is there. So concentration in this way, um, kind of in its most basic form, is just as a stabilizer. So it allows the mind, the, really it allows the attention to stabilize so that you can see all this stuff happening um, through your mindfulness lens, right? And um, so that's one way of, of framing it. Then to bring it in to have that one-pointedness um, it's a strength for the mind. It's just like mindfulness. It's the practice really is 
noticing when you're not present, coming back. You know, it's that coming back over and over again that even though we just loathe that <laughs> that experience, we wish it would stop sometimes when we have really busy mind. Um, when we do that process, it is actually strengthening our capacity to be more mindful. And concentration, you know, whether it's jhana practice or or just learning how to have that balance um, of a concentrated, a healthy, concentrated mind, we're we're strengthening this this ability, this power in our mind that will support everything. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I gotta end it there. Those are good questions, so I'll stay a little bit um, if you want to come up and ask questions afterwards. But we're going to dedicate the merit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay. So this is our time to um, bring bring our awareness around. The fact that just coming here, spending our time in this way, practicing together as a community, listening to the Dharma, um, and engaging in this way is very wholesome. And when we do wholesome things, just like when we do unwholesome things, it has a ripple effect um, within our own lives. When we cultivate the Dharma, it has a ripple effect that affects ourselves but it also affects the people we interact with, our loved ones, our co-workers, the people in our communities we interact with. Um, it has a ripple effect, I think, that goes on beyond all of that in ways that uh, we don't even know. And so this is the wholesomeness that we're putting out into the world when we practice in this way. And so in that spirit, we dedicate um, our time here together and the practice we've cultivated together to all beings, every, everywhere. And in particular, we have a number of, of people who have been on your hearts and minds. And so we dedicate the merit to these beings and to all beings everywhere. Um, may all beings be happy and find some place of deep contentment within themselves. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.